the title for this series is Turning Biblical Theology into Your Biography. You think about turning your theology, biblical theology, into your biography. You actually walk it and talk it and live it every day. Um, To do that, we've seen that you've got to know who you are. In our first, as we begin to look at this, who am I? And by, I don't mean just, I want you to look at this individual. I mean, I, I talked about when I've been answering this question for a long time about myself. And when I was your age, I'm just a bit younger than you. Um, I really didn't understand who I was. Now, I was not walking around saying, I don't know who I am. But when I looked in the in Scripture, and it was like a mirror, and it was telling me, as I looked at it, who I was. And it was, it was just incredible. We cannot understand who we are. And we saw this in the first lesson, just a real quick review. We can't understand who we are until we know that all of creation is in the context of God. What do I mean by that? That all of creation begins with God. Go back to the beginning, there's God. And you get to the end, there's God. We saw that, that it's not only that the whole world is like that, but we are like that. Our lives begin with God. That's where it starts. Psalm 139 is just a marvelous statement by David. Now, this is David's statement about himself. He says, For you created my inmost being. It's not just my outward self. You created everything about me, God. It's on your scripture sheet there. Verse 13, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Not only that, the Bible pictures that we're sustained by God. So every day I've come from God and he sustains me every day. In other words, I can't understand who I am unless I understand this truth of Scripture. Secondly, we asked the question the second week, who am I? And we discovered that right at the beginning, the very first thing God said about man was not that you're a sinner. He's a sinner. It's not the first thing. The very first thing God said was, let's make man in our image. After he made the plants and the animals, he said, we'll make one more creature. Different from the animals, different from the plants, this creature will be in our image. We saw that God is a spirit, and he made man to be spiritual. We saw in Scripture that God's personal, and he made man to be personal. We saw in Scripture that God is rational. He thinks, and he made us to be rational. We saw in Scripture that God is moral. He made us to be moral. The point is that we can enjoy being spiritual. That's who we are. We're spiritual beings. We're not just physical beings made up of so many elements from periodic chart. We're physical, but we're also spiritual. Spiritual in a way that animals are not. We can enjoy being personal. We can enjoy being rational. We can write books. We can read books. 
we can uh, enjoy this part of who we are. And finally, God's moral and he made us be moral. This is where the atheist has his greatest problems. If there's not a God and there's no other way to face this, if there's no God, then there's no absolute law. There's no absolutes. You cannot put absolutes. The greatest problem that atheism has because they can't live that way. If, if you go back to the beginning and there's no God and you just, this happened by chance out of nothing, then there's no law. No one to make absolute law. It's my body. I can do what I want with my body. I can kill babies in the womb. I can kill a man because I don't like the color of his skin. The atheist cannot look at something and say, that was wrong yesterday. It was wrong a thousand years ago. It'll be wrong today. And it will be wrong a thousand years from now. Can't say it. There are no absolutes. No right and wrong. So we look at ourselves. Who am I? Uh, I begin with God. He sustains me every day. And I'm made in His image. I'm spiritual. I have a soul that will go to be with Him when I die, before my body is resurrected. I'm spiritual. I'm personal. I'm rational. I'm moral. That's who I am. We ended last week by saying, by understanding in Scripture, that the image of God uh, survived the fall. We're saying, you know, we want to say, well, we're sinners. Certainly we lost that image. But here's on this side of the fall we're spiritual, we're personal, we're rational, we're moral. This side of the fall, after the fall, we're still, we're still spiritual. We still, still have a soul. We're still personal. We're still rational. We're still moral. Now, it has a different foundation before that was st- the, the image of God was centered on God. After the fall, you were born with all those things. You're born in the image of God. But that image is now based on sin. The foundation of it is sin and self. So tonight, to further ask who we are, I want to ask, and this seems like a strange question, as a Christian, what are you doing with God's creation? This creation that we talked about, your place in it, and we said that God, that He's designed it and we have a place in it. But what are we doing with it as a Christian? Let me ask you a question. As a Christian, do you revel? Meaning, do you enjoy? Do you love God's creation? Who are you? And most Christians get this wrong. Especially most conservative Christians get this wrong. Who are you in God's creation? How do you view creation? We've been distracted by debates As Christians, we've been distracted by debates about evolution and such things. And we've lost 
In all these debates, we have lost the real and powerful messages of Genesis 1. How do you, how do you view creation? What do you do with it? How do you view it? Think about it. How do you enjoy God's creation on a day-to-day basis? We debate over evolution. We debate over the age of the earth. We debate whether these were seven 24-hour days. They're good debates to have. But in these debates, we often miss the wonder, the beauty, the purpose of creation. Genesis 1 is not meant to be a scientific explanation of creation. It's true, but it's not meant to be a scientific explanation of creation. Otherwise, if it was, in Scripture we would have volumes, scientific volumes about chemistry and physics and astrophysics. But you read the Scriptures in Genesis and you see a wonder, a beauty, and a purpose in creation. Let's talk about that for a minute. Let's think about that. First, I want you to see tonight that this is something that, that when you walk out of here tonight, if you just change a small bit of this, it will affect how you look at the world around you. It will affect about how you look at creation, how you look at the springtime, how do you look at the summer, how you look at cold weather. Terry. so uh, it, it will affect but creation is God's artwork you go to a museum go to the Louvre in Paris and you walk through and you see all this tremendous art you spend days in the Louvre doing that but God's given us the greatest gallery the greatest art gallery the greatest museum is all around us, every single day. There's no art anywhere, anywhere that can match, that can capture God's art. Imagine the panorama, the color, the contrast, and the detail. Just as we read these verses, look at Genesis 1-9. I'm just going to read a couple of verses here. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place. And let dry ground appear. And it was so. And God called the dry ground land. And he gathered the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, now look at this. Let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed. And you can tell that this author is looking at the beauty of this and the wonder of this. And we miss this. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. That's a wonderful picture. All the color. God the artist, just as a painter paints, just as a sculptor sculpts, just as a composer composes, God the artist, he he paints and he sculpts and he composes in his creation. That is just what we read. There's one difference, though, and this is a huge difference. Usually, the artist is looking at a model. You know, what does it do? artist goes out and is going to paint a landscape, and they're looking at a landscape. They've got a model. Going to paint a tree. They've got a model. 
They've got a human being. They're, they're going to, to paint Caroline. And they're, oh, look at Caroline. I'm going to paint her. Well, he created from his will. He had no model. From his will, from his own imagination, from his plan, he created. Maybe you've heard the story about the moderns that got together, thought they had arrived, and went to God and said, we don't need you anymore. Uh, Look at all we've accomplished. And now we can create life. And the moderns challenged God to a contest. He said, you created man, and now we will prove that we can do the same. So the moderns gathered all of their scientists and came to God. God, you created man out of the dirt. You made man out of the dirt. We're going to do that. You give us some dirt, and we're going to make man ourselves. And God said, you make your own dirt. I like that story, but there's something that most folks miss. The scientist had a model with which to work. We'll make man like you did. God created man as an original. It was his idea. Stop and think about that a minute. That's who you are. That you're not only an image of God. God said, I'm going to make this creature special. It's going to be in my image. But it's God's design. God did this. So Genesis 1 is the artist creating from nothing. The creation is coming from God's own creativity. The Bible teaches that God's creation teaches us about who God is. It's not only that He made, but it teaches us about who God is. Look at Psalm 19.1. Many of you have probably know this by heart. The heavens declare. Notice that the heavens above declare what? They shout to us of the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they utter forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. You look at the Bible, and we call that, the theologians call that God's special revelation. But here, in God's special revelation, in Scripture, it says, look at the creation around you. It reveals God. It declares God to us. So, you know, it's this picture. The, the speech of creation, the creation, the oration of creation about God. It never ceases. It's going on right now all around us. Go out into the night. Tomorrow morning the sun rises. It will shout to us about God. So, Go to Romans one twenty, and look at that. For since the creation of the world, knows and knows its creation, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, that's God's invisible characteristics. I, we, we can't see God himself here tonight. But his, his qualities, his characteristics are invisible. I love this verse. His eternal power and divine nature. They're invisible. And notice what he says, though. This is 
This is odd. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Since the beginning, Adam saw it. Noah saw it. David saw it. These invisible characteristics have been clearly seen. Well, how are they clearly seen? Being understood from what has been made. You've heard the argument before that creation proves to us the existence of God. But that's not what this is saying. This is saying that God's creation actually tells us what God is like. If I held up a Bible and said, what, what's the greatest truth about this book? That book reveals God to us. What's the greatest truth about his creation? His creation reveals God to us. I once had two paintings in my office at church, and they were by the same artist. And the artist's name was not on the two paintings, but I know they were the same artist. And if you'd come in and you'd looked at them for just five minutes, you would have said, they're by the same artist. Now, they weren't the same scene, but those two paintings spoke to us about the, the artist that painted them. I remember looking at those paintings, and I knew that the artist was not an Impressionist first. He wasn't an Impressionist artist. You could see that he liked earth tones, that he liked pastoral scenes. He liked scenes that have water and trees. And I looked, I looked up his paintings, and there were other paintings like this. And he talked to us about what that, what that artist was like. Just so, look at creation, the galaxies. It's, it's almost like some Christians didn't want the universe to be any larger. But I love the vastness of the universe. I love the vastness because it speaks to us of the vastness of God. The intricate atoms reflect his order and control. The rose tells us that God loves beauty. The psalmist, read this, go home and read Psalms. The Psalms, he looks at creation, just wonders at creation. And it tells him about God. You know, why, why did God, I think I've told you this before, why did God not, why, why, did he, why didn't he just create the earth and the sun and the moon? Why did he do that? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Why the universe? Why not the earth and the sun and the moon? You know what the answer is? That's too simple. That wouldn't tell you about God. When I draw, I draw stick figures. That's it. I can't, when I, I can't, I, I can paint. If I paint, I paint stick figures. That's all I can do. Michelangelo couldn't just paint stick figures. In fact, he couldn't paint stick figures like I did. He's not that small. He's too huge. He's too great. Are you familiar with the paintings of Michelangelo? They're incredible. They declared, what do they tell us about? They tell us about the talent and the understanding and the mind 
of Michelangelo. It took a universe. God made a universe. If, a, if his creation was going to speak about him, it had to be a universe. It had to be vast. So the point is this. Creation is God's artwork and reveals his character. Secondly, God made the physical creation for the benefit and enjoyment of man. Now, this is where, man, I wish somebody had told me this when I was young. I really do. Look at, look at verse 28 of Genesis 1. And God blessed him. Speaking about Adam and Eve, God blessed him. And he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Notice he didn't say that to the animals. He said this to those who he had made to govern creation. Then God said, I give you every seat bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. He's giving this to them. Look down, verse 30, into all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give green plant for food, and it was so. What do those verses say? Here God makes this magnificent creation, and he creates man, and he comes to man, and he says, this is for you. I, I, I still can't get over that. This is for you. I made this. God, why did you make the world? I made it for you. I made it for you. We can enjoy everything from, from our pets to the snow that falls. We can enjoy everything from the taste of a strawberry to a kiss. It all comes from God. Every bit of it. Many Christians refuse to enjoy creation in the name of serving Him. They might see it as something maybe out here that, well, it, it's just wasted time, but, you know, it's, it's all right. That's not what this says. Many Christians, many, many Christians, evangelical Christians, will look at this. And they will think, well, I can do that, but... I really think it would be a sin. Maybe a sin, wasting time at the most. Well, go to God and ask Him why He made it. Why He made it. You know that God created sex? Sexual intercourse? It's a holy thing. God made it. Now, man's abused it. Man's disobeyed him. He made this for us. Look at 1 Timothy 4.1. And the Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose conscience has been seared with hot iron. Now stop right there. Don't read any further. You know, when you read that, you know what you think about? You think about the worst, most just, just the most awful, depraved sins. You know what sin he's talking about? He's talking about people. We'll read on down. It tells you. They forbid people to marry 
in order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. He's speaking to Christians here. He says, he, he says, verse four, for everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving because it's consecrated by the word of God in prayer. They not only refuse to enjoy it, but they indict people who do enjoy it. Well, here's this marvelous thing. Who are you? You're the possessor, the caretaker of God's creation. And that includes your body. That includes your mind. That includes the image of God in you. It includes all around you. You know, as parents, I always thought that my parents were born. They were born to look at John Prentice Sartell and say, no, you can't do that. You know, that's, that's what I thought parents were for. They, had, they were good parents. But that I honestly thought that. And then I became a parent. And I discovered, of all things, I wanted to say yes to my children. I wanted to give them things. And it was a delight. It was a delight to give them something and see them enjoy it. That's what God does. And you are his children. If you know Christ, you are his children in a way that the world is not. If anyone should understand this, it ought to be Christians. Too many Christians are standing outside looking at the world saying, oh, I wish I could do that. No. The world ought to be looking if you're an authentic Christian, if you're a real Christian, the world will be looking at you. And the way that you enjoy creation, the way you enjoy life, and say, they've got something I don't. They understand something I don't. Thirdly, so creation is God's artwork. It reveals his character. God made the physical creation for the benefit and enjoyment of man. Thirdly, what we do with God's creation is terribly significant. Now, very quickly, we read this a minute ago. Look at verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood what has been made so that people are without excuse. Well, what did man do with that? Now, he looked at creation. He saw what God was like. What did man do with it? What did this fallen sinner do with it? Look at verse 21 of Romans 1. For although they knew God, the scriptures had told, creation had told them what God, who God was. They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 22, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Well, what did they do? And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. He made idols. Of all of animals, of men, of the sun and moon. And I know that some of you are saying, Hold it. I've never bowed down to a snake. Never bowed down 
to the sun. I hadn't bound down to some idol. All right. Verse 25. They exchanged. This is another way of saying it. They exchanged the truth about God. Here's the truth about God. They exchanged that truth for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is praised forever. And we do that every day. We do that every day. What he's saying is, is that the, the love that ought to go to God, we look at material things and give that devotion to material things. The love that ought to go to God, the worship that ought to go to God, we look at sexual pleasure and give that our love. In other words, what God has made, what God has made, we take those things and we bow down to them and we give it the worship that we ought to be giving God. We love it ahead of God. Every single person in this room, including me, and we'll do it again. We love if there's someone or something or something in our lives. It can be anything. And we love it. I remember thinking when Jill was born, and I, it was, it was something I hadn't experienced before. It was just incredible. And I would just stand at that window and look at her in the cradle in the hospital, and I was like, what in the world? And I would stand by a crib and just look at her. And then Jesus showed up. He said, hey, John, you love her more than you do me? You know, there's a verse in Scripture that says, when you love son or daughter or mother and father more than you do God, it's idolatry. He gave me, Jill. He gave you your parents. He'll give you your children. He says, love me first. So, what do you do with creation? Do you revel in it? That's great. Do you rejoice in it? Wonderful. Do you say, look at this. This is just awesome. From the bedroom to sitting at the table and enjoying your favorite food to enjoying friendships and sports. That's all from God. He gave it to you. Gave it to us. The question is, does it does it lead you to praise God? You know, God made weeks. And he set aside one day of the week. He said, you come and worship. And that's what we're doing. The beauty of God's world, the wonder of God's world. We come in thanksgiving. We come in praise for it. That's what I'm asking. What do you do with creation? Do you enjoy it? Good. That's what you're supposed to do. It's what God made it for. But in the end, does it lead you to praise God? Do you worship Him?
You know, I love to hunt. I love to fish. I love to play golf. God gave me those things, but that doesn't mean I love Him just because I do it. I have to ask the question, does it lead me to worship God? Do I love Him first above all that I've had? He gave us creation. What are we doing with it? It will tell you who you are. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you. Thank you. Just for this evening. Just for the fellowship. Just for the food. Just for the wine, the beer, the water, whatever. You gave it to us. Father, help us to revel in this. Thank you for this good word. We pray that what has been said and heard that is good and right and holy, we pray that, Father, will be ingrained upon our souls. What we've heard or thought that has not been good or right or accurate, I pray that it will be to no effect. We thank you, Father. Bless us in the remainder of this week. In Jesus' name, amen.